Hello and welcome to the Go Gamecocks podcast, a quick and informative look into South Carolina sports presented by the state newspaper. I am your host, Greg Hadley, and I am joined by reporter Ben Briner. We're breaking down the South Carolina football team's 24-7 win over Vanderbilt this Saturday at Williams-Brice Stadium. Ben, this was a pretty odd game we witnessed. You wrote a column about it on GoGameCox.com, kind of referring to it as a as a blowout win that didn't feel like one at all. Could you elaborate a little bit on what you meant by that? Well, if you look at the final numbers, South Carolina was pretty dominant. The offense wasn't great. The defense, very great. The overall yardage numbers, extremely impressive. And you can kind of make the excuse that, well, they didn't finish in the red zone. That sometimes happens. But it just never felt like it was that far apart. Now, granted, South Carolina was up seven for just a massive chunk of the game, and it never, ever felt like Vanderbilt was at all going to threaten that. It frankly didn't even feel like Vanderbilt had a chance to break any big plays at all, which was odd because Kashan Vaughn is pretty good at that. All that being said, it just kind of, the game just sort of slogged along. South Carolina was, was down early. That probably wasn't the, the the best spot in terms of how they felt, but, you know, they tied it up. They took the lead, and they just kind of kept Vandy at arm's length up until they finally pulled away, and somehow they managed to cover a two-touchdown spread, which seemed a little impressive, all things considered. But man, good God, Vandy is bad. They are not very good. Yeah, I was going to go into that if it, it felt more like a... Like Vanderbilt just not being able to do anything versus South Carolina imposing their will. Because like you said, it was a seven-point lead going into the fourth quarter. And going in there, you're like, how are they only leading by seven? And yet at the same time, how are they leading? I mean, South Carolina played competent with a roster that was missing some dudes. I think that was kind of it. They played competent. They did what they were supposed to. They had some some nice moments when uh, Holinsky had a good sort of call the line to get Brian Edwards in a good spot. And he beat coverage and found him for longish touchdown. But yeah, generally, it just sort of felt like Will Muschamp used the word workmanlike. I'm sure he meant it in a more complimentary sense than perhaps we might be thinking of it at the moment. But, you know, it felt workmanlike in the unspectacular manner. <laughs> the word that came more to mind was pedestrian for me. I don't know about you. I mean, we were sitting in the press box. There wasn't a lot of walking happening, so I don't know. Okay, fair enough. You mentioned the offense's struggles in the red zone. They were three for five, including a late drive that really didn't matter, but they were stuffed on the goal line. It just seemed like they were unable to take advantage of a lot of great field position. Yeah, it definitely seemed like, I mean, they went for a fourth down, which was a smart call, and they got stuffed. Some of it kind of points to it. It felt like Vanderbilt's interior line actually played well isn't the right word, but stood South Carolina up and won some of the battles in the line of scrimmage. I have to go back and dig a little bit deeper than I have at this point, but it felt like South Carolina generally kind of controlled the line of scrimmage, but in some of those key short yardage situations, they would run this player that, and they ran a lot of diverse stuff, and the offensive line was a yard and a half into the backfield over and over. Yeah, let's take a quick listen to what Will Muschamp had to say about that. After the second half against Tennessee, did you see the progress you wanted to see from your offense going into these last four, three, four games? Well, it's just this one. I mean, that's the only one we can count right now. But I thought we had good balance. I thought, you know, we, we, were, we were outstanding on third down. We are 9 of 15 on third down, staying on the field right there. Uh, we got to get better in some short yards and goal line situations. That was abysmal. Uh, but, you know, in those other situations, you're able to run for over 200 and throw for over 200. You're going to be pleased with your outcome a lot. And uh, again, you, you get in the red zone and you capitalize on, you know, two of those three or, you know, three of those three, you feel a little different about the score. 
So, Ben, like you mentioned, though, the offense really was missing a lot of key pieces. Junior receiver Shai Smith was ruled out before the game with a hamstring. Rico Dowdle was out for the running backs. Tavian Feaster missed parts of the game. Mon Denson was benched after fumbling. So they were relying on a lot of young playmakers. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting just because more people were forced into action and there were some good moments. Xavier Leggett's touchdown. There were some not good moments. Uh, Josh Van dropping a third down pass that I don't know if he would have gotten the first down, but he definitely didn't after he just let it hit him in the hands. So I think maybe you got a little preview of what's to come. None of these guys are really established. Maybe they'll sort of grow into that. I sort of noticed that on that aforementioned early third down where Josh Van had the drop, you had Jay Urich and Ortre Smith both at wide receiver in a crucial spot early on, which was a little surprising because those guys, Jay Urich hasn't played much receiver at all of late, and Ortre's kind of saw his snaps go down. So I think it was interesting to see them kind of flex that part of it a little bit. And it also led to the interesting story that Deshaun Fenwick had wanted to transfer, which is maybe a reminder that college kids don't often have foresight because pretty much every running back in front of him is leaving after this season. Yeah, that was one of the nice stories from from that night. Uh, Deshaun Fenwick, redshirt freshman, coming in, cracking 100 yards. It wasn't a career high, but he had run for 112 yards last year against an FCS school. So this was by far his best game ever. And as you said afterwards, he kind of, he and Coach Muschamp talked about this meeting they had where he basically convinced him not to transfer. Do you think we could see Fenwick more moving forward? I'm not so sure of that just because I think, uh, or at least one much has said, Rico Dowdle is set to come back this week. Obviously, if he's back, they sort of go back to the way the running back rotation was, which was a lot of Dowdle and Feaster, some Mondenson, maybe some Kevin Harris. But I think that ultimately... Fenwick's tale isn't about this year, it's about next year when they lose Feaster Dowdle and Denson and AJ Turner, and then you're turning over, assuming everything stays the way it is, you're turning over the running back room, really in essence to him, Harris, and Marshawn Lloyd. Looking at the other side of the ball, that first drive for Vandy, I think that's where maybe, you know, South Carolina got off on a bad start, and it kind of maybe colored how fans and the media saw the rest of the game. Because some costly penalties, Vanderbilt moved the ball pretty well. They go 77 yards and get just a a wide-open 26-yard touchdown. Hard to be more open than that. Correct. Uh, The explanation for it was actually kind of interesting in that Vanderbilt had a tendency to go for that short out on third downs, especially third and shorts. So J.C. Horn was absolutely sitting on it, and then he just made a very good call that kind of burned him. And really, you know, it's kind of funny to look back and say if Israel Mukwamu doesn't give up one of those two plays and South Carolina's defense, you presume, gets itself in gear at the same time, you're talking about a really dominant shutout. I mean, yes, yeah. it was already a very dominant defensive performance and, and could have been a lot worse. Yeah, you take out that first drive and Vanderbilt, or at least over the last three quarters, had less than 100 yards, something like three or four first downs total, just completely unable to move the ball. I think I did the math on it, and after those first two drives, Vanderbilt averaged 7.1 yards per drive. Yeah, not very good. So two things I wanted to address here. Number one, we should note that Vanderbilt's quarterback, who started the year as their starter, then got benched, but then had to come back in as a starter for this game because the guy that replaced him had a concussion. That's Riley Neal, kind of similar to what we saw last week with Tennessee. He came in and guided that first drive, but then had to leave the game with what uh, I think might have been a concussion. Uh, yeah, Mason was a little dodgy on the explanation of that. So then third stringer, Deuce Wallace, comes in, 
and he just, I mean, really, really struggled. And so that relates to my second point is, again, is this more Vanderbilt just struggling really hard, or did you see stuff that you think could be translatable across games for South Carolina's defense? Well, I mean, most third-string quarterbacks are bad. The fact that Tennessee's was not bad is somewhat surprising, but should be more the outlier than the rule. But I think the fact that they contained the running game for Vanderbilt, they really put a cap on Vaughn, who's a very good player. That set of receivers has some talent. I don't know if necessarily they had the tools to get those guys the ball. However, there's ways to get playmakers the ball short if you need to, and they didn't really do that either. So I think containing the run game was was a pretty good sign, if nothing else. And again, not to... Uh pick too many nits but the the penalties were an area of concern i think south carolina picked up 11 penalties for 94 yards and had i think another one declined as well someone asked will muschamp about them after the game and he kind of gave a a pretty short and sweet answer about lining up offsides which they were called for twice on the opening drive but it did just seem kind of like they were a little sloppy at times is that fair to say would you do you think i think i would probably say that and i thought it was interesting because at times, this program's been pretty good at avoiding penalties, uh, even though Will Muschamp has said multiple times that he doesn't actually believe penalties are that great of an indicator of success. But nonetheless, yeah, they were weird, and they certainly did power that first drive, and I think they took at least one touchdown off the board, if memory serves. Either a touchdown or a big first down, or maybe both. I don't know, it was a long night at this point. But I think that... Yeah, that's probably something they're going to have to clean up because the next couple of games, if they hope to win, hope to go bowling, they're going to probably come down to the margins, and penalties make that harder to do. Hey there. Like what you hear? Good news. You can help ensure the state continues making journalism you love to read, watch, and listen to. If you're more into sports than news, you'd probably like our Sports Pass membership, which gives you access to unlimited sports coverage for just $30 for the first year. Subscribe to Sports Pass at thestate.com slash sportspass. You can also read more Gamecocks news by downloading the Go Gamecocks app or by signing up for our newsletter at thestate.com slash newsletters. Thanks for supporting local journalism. Now, back to today's episode. Yeah, just looking back at this, it, I mean, it, it, we sound maybe a little negative for a 17-point win over an SEC opponent, but it just, it really did feel like they should have won that one, or they could have won that one by, you know, a score of 35 to nothing, had just a few different things, cleaned up a few little mistakes. Yeah, I mean, even if you just cash in on a couple of those drives that go into the red zone, and you don't have, I think they had two drives that started inside Vanderbilt's 35 and produced a total of three points. If you turn those into a couple of touchdowns and another field goal, all of a sudden you've straight up just run away with this thing. But they didn't do that, so we're left looking at this. And, you know, to be fair, moving forward, a lot's going to depend on how these injuries turn out. That's something that hopefully we'll get more updates from Coach Muschamp as we go along. But it really does seem like the offense is going through what the defense went through last year with just a rash of first and second stringers just all going down, especially you know, at the playmaker spots, but also on the offensive line as well. Yeah, they were rolling with a third string right tackle this week. They're thinking they'll get Dylan Wanham back, but you know, to lose two right tackles, that's not great. Jalen Nichols was solid at times, and then Ja'Kai Moore came in and ended up kind of splitting time with Eric Douglas, so that was sort of not what you want to see if you're a Gamecocks fan. 
And yeah, it seems like they're in the position to throw more young playmakers in, which sometimes is good because you get to see those guys. And also sometimes it's bad because you realize they're not always the most consistent players, which is why they're not playing. Definitely at least at least a preview of the future, if nothing else. And I also, speaking of young playmakers, I feel like we should acknowledge the old man playmaker among the group, Brian Edwards. Tied a school record with 14 catches, 139 yards, and a touchdown. Very close to being 140 yards and two touchdowns. He was ruled out at the one on a very close play. Uh, I mean, there's not much more you can say about Edwards this year. He just seems to be running and playing with just an incredible edge to him. I think that's true. I think he turned down the NFL. Last season was, was good in spots, sometimes not good in spots. I think he's probably gotten maybe the most out of his talent in terms of he maybe not maybe isn't the fastest receiver necessarily, but they still use him in some of those situations. He's a good jump ball guy. He's just kind of developed, I think, sort of cleaned up some of the rougher edges of his game, and it's really showed, and he's going to leave this school with pretty much every receiving record. He's on pace to do so, at least. Well, yeah. Beyond that, yeah, I mean, he's put together a pretty decorated career at a school that's had some pretty decorated wide receivers, and he's been crucial for this team. I mean, if they didn't have him, this season would, ooh, this season would be kind of even more of a mess than it has been at points. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Holinsky targeted him and completed more passes to him than every other player combined Saturday. So that just goes to show he's the best option by leaps and bounds on this team. Ben, not to tease too far ahead, but we do have a very interesting game coming up next week. South Carolina hosts Appalachian State. The early line came out on this game. South Carolina only favored by four. I think this is going to be a really interesting game. And uh, one, South Carolina absolutely has to win to keep the, even the hope of a bowl game alive, really. Yeah, the Mountaineers are kind of an interesting squad because they had a very good young quarterback last year. They go through a coaching change because Scott Satterfield parlays his success there into the Louisville job. Elia Drinkowitz comes over from, I think he was last at NC State, and he actually had faced South Carolina a few years back in a season opener. And Drinkwitz is a good coach, and it's been impressive how they haven't at all missed a beat. They got in the top 25 at 7-0, and took their first loss to Georgia Southern, which is very endemic of that rivalry. Those are teams that have a lot of history and just kind of hate each other. But, you know, you're talking about a team that is outscoring folks by at least 18 points a game. They knocked off a North Carolina team that knocked off South Carolina this year. Zach Thomas is a really good quarterback, maybe a little worse than he was last year, but he's dangerous, good runner. And... It's just hard to kind of get a read on what this game might look like because, in theory, South Carolina is more talented and probably has played better on balance this season. But it's hard to tell just kind of what Gamecocks team is going to show up because, let's face it, you know, the team that showed up for a lot of that Tennessee game might have maybe not lost against Vanderbilt, but certainly would have had a game that was a lot closer. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see what group sort of, you know, comes out on the Williams-Brice Stadium turf. All right. We will talk more about that game upcoming on Wednesday, and we will also continue to have more men's and women's basketball coverage as the women start their regular season Tuesday and the men do so on Friday. As a reminder, please remember to rate, like, or subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.